You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Okay, good. Luckily, I've only got an hour's worth of material for us, so um, we should get through this well today. Um, I'm in an interesting stage of life where my kids are now getting old enough where they get way more involved in everything uh, I do, you know? And uh, it's really cool. It's really fun. So my daughter, my oldest daughter, Gracie, who turns 11 next Sunday, um, is backstage back there. And she handed me this um, paper of notes uh, before I was walking out. It says, notes on ministry. Uh, And here's what it says. Let Jesus speak through you. Uh, You are just the newsie. Um, not the author. God is the author. We just deliver the news. Point number two, don't mumble or repeat your words. I, I swear this is what's on here. Um, and repeat your words when you make a mistake. Um, say something funny to loosen the tension. I think she just did that for me. And talk with your hands. Uh, look everyone in the eye, but not the same person the whole time. <laughs> Thank you, babe. It's great. All right. Well, congratulations. We have reached the final uh, lesson, the final teaching in the Emo Church series. For some of you, this has been the worst uh, six weeks of your life. Um, for others, it's been this freedom you've never experienced before. Um, but nevertheless, we are finishing today, uh, closing Emo Church, our series on becoming an emotionally healthy church. So far, we've covered six principles uh, on emotional health, uh, all more or less building on one another to launch us into uh, our teaching today. Turn with me to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. Is that me? Am I popping? Okay. Thanks, man. 1 Timothy chapter 4, a little bit of context. Um, Timothy was a disciple under the Apostle Paul, and he was given the enormous task of shepherding and pastoring the new church in Ephesus. Uh, Timothy was maybe 30 years old. He was young for that day and age and teaching the church. And so Paul writes these instruction letters to Timothy, and that's what we're looking at today, some of Paul's instruction. Now, uh, not many of you are pastors probably, or you wouldn't be here uh, this morning, Um, but nevertheless, these instructions are good for us and have application for us regardless of our life in ministry. This has much more to do with our spiritual growth. So let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 4 starting in verse 6 through 16. Verse 6, it says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Hold promise for the both, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
Now this is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because uh, you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's our word for today. Let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you this morning, God. We give you um, our time together. We give you our hearts. God, I pray the words that we worship this morning, Lord God, that we would... um, come into this place with open hands. Pray those words would be deep in our hearts this morning, God. God, that we would trust you with our hearts. Lord, that where the the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom for us today. God, all of these things, we, we don't want to just sing them. God, we want to walk in them. We want to live them. We want to embody them. So God, we give you our time this morning, Lord. I believe you have a word for us, God, to close this uh, series and this journey we've been on the last six weeks. Lord, I pray that you, you would lead us into it, God. You would say what, what you want to be said and give us hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, last week, we discussed um, the topic Incarnation being the model for loving well. And we're going to review what that means in just a little bit. But today, we're talking similarly, but in a different vein, about slowing down to live well. So if last week was about loving well, this week is about living well. How do we slow down to live well? How do we, in light of the principles that we have talked about the last six weeks move forward into the life that God has for us. This is in many ways what Paul is teaching to Timothy as he begins his life in ministry. He says, watch your life. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Paul instructs Timothy to train yourself in godliness. These are instructions on how to live well. But training ourselves for godliness, living well, uh, can require different elements of us than we sometimes might think. That's what a lot of this series has been about. So today, to start, I want to get us up out of the trees a little bit. You've heard um, those stories about campers or explorers who go into the jungle or into the forest and, and they get lost. And they can't find their way back to camp, even though it's maybe just around the corner because everything is so dense around them, they can't find their way out. And sometimes the series, maybe for you, for me it has, uh, it feels really dense. Like you just get uh, lost in the forest. And so today we want to come up out of the trees and get a broad view of everything that we've talked about in this series. Um, 
Remember, the crux of this series, what we've been talking about, is that it's not possible for a Christian, a follower of Christ, to be spiritually mature while being emotionally immature. That is the thesis statement of this series of everything we've been talking about. That these two things, spiritual maturity and emotional maturity, are inexpressibly linked together. They cannot be separated. For those of us who struggle with our emotions, uh, who've been asking why do emotions matter as we've gone through this series, I want us to remember how we have defined emotions through this series. We've defined emotions as this. Emotions are the cry of our soul. They expose what we are doing with the sorrow of life and in turn reveal what our heart is doing with God. Expose what we're doing with the sorrow of life and reveal what our heart is doing with God. Our emotions are like the indicator light on the dashboard of the car you used to own before you moved to San Francisco. When, when your gas uh, light would go on, it was an indicator. It would tell you, you need to do something. Something, is, something bad is about to happen. And you were moved to take action. When, when the check engine light comes on, that's an even bigger problem. And that's what our emotions are. They are these indicator lights that click and go off. And if we ignore them, if we stuff them, bad things are bound to happen when we learn to process them and think about them and identify them, we can move forward and deal with those problems that might take place. We must pay attention to our emotions and they, because they are so linked to our growth spiritually. Those things are, are absolutely linked together. So today, as we uh, pull ourselves out of the trees, get a broader view of this uh, series overall, there's two areas we want to talk about. The first is the false self Versus the true self. The false self versus the true self. And secondly, we want to talk about the formation of the holy self. Okay? False self, true self, formation of the holy self. So let's do it. Uh, first we want to talk about recognizing the false self versus the true self. Uh, much of this series has been a deep dive into the darkest place of our being, of our self of our experiences, of our past. Remember the topics that we've covered, looking beneath the surface, breaking the power of the past, living in brokenness and vulnerability, receiving the gift of limits, embracing grieving and loss, making incarnation your model for loving well. All of these topics are very raw, right? And they speak into deep places in us. But quite frankly, they're very counterculture at the same time. These are not things we normally do. If it was, someone wouldn't write a book telling us how to do them. Now, I want to take some time, and, and as we get this broader understanding of their principles, look at what they're pointing to. And, and the way I want to do this is I want to juxtapose the principles that we've talked about and how our culture might respond to them. Right? Maybe you can identify with these. Um, if these topics were presented in your workplace to someone on the street, uh, when you will go over to Dolores Park for lunch, uh, if it weren't under construction, if you were to present these to, to people outside of the church, people who weren't going through this series, how might they respond? How would the culture say to live well versus 
these principles say we should live well. So let's look at them. First, uh, looking beneath the surface. Here we identify that there is much more to us as God's image bearers than we ourselves identify with most often. And certainly what we allow others to see in us. In fact, the vast majority of ourselves is hidden from the world. Maybe even from ourselves. There's much more under the surface. Now, how would our culture look at that? How, how would they receive that? Look, maybe we should look beneath the surface. I think the way our culture would respond is, why? <laughs> the surface is all that matters. Maintaining the parts of us uh, that people see is the way that we get ahead. It's the way that we uh, better our life. And besides, what's buried underneath the surface is dark and ugly. You don't want to go there. Best left unseen. Spend your time and energy on surface things. Second point, breaking the power of the past. Here we said uh, identifying areas of our past and our wounds, our relationships, generational sin patterns. These things have shaped our present. And so we must bring them to the Lord and receive healing, freedom. Our culture would probably respond saying, you know what, the past is in the past. Focus on the future. Be forward thinking. Don't let your past dictate your future. Living in brokenness and vulnerability. We said our spiritual growth is on a trajectory from hard-heartedness to tenderness and vulnerability. That as we spend time with God, our hands begin to open to the things we are holding on to outside of him. We learn to trust. We learn to surrender. This is very counter-culture. Our culture would respond and say, you know, vulnerability, why would you ever be vulnerable with anyone? Don't let them see you sweat. Why would you be vulnerable? You're just setting yourself up to be hurt. Better to guard yourself and never let your guard down. Receiving the gift of limits. We said that although we're created in the image of God, we are not God ourselves. That we should uh, love God, as Francis Schaeffer described, as a creature to its creator. Knowing our limits. Embracing them. Of course, this is the week we all got to sing Frozen and Little Mermaid together. That there are no limits. We get to be free. Let it go. You can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. This is our, the cry of the American heart, right? <clears throat> Freedom, no limits. Embracing grieving and loss. Uh, scripture is full of testimonies of God's people crying out to him in pain, in sadness, in brokenness. God expects us to be honest with him about the sorrows of our life. In these moments, we understand God's wisdom and the depth of his love. But our culture would say, don't cry over spilled milk. Don't waste your time. Our losses, those are just obstacles to overcome. Don't let it hold you down. And finally, uh, making, incarnational, uh, making incarnation our model for loving well. Uh, last week we said if loving well, loving God well, loving others well, loving the world well is why we're here in the first place. Then God says we are to embody his love for the world as Christ did for us. And of course our culture would disagree with that. They would say love is about fulfilling your own desires. Fulfilling your own 
happiness. Each of these principles, if we're looking at them in these stacks, there's two selves being constructed. A true self and a false self. William Shakespeare said this in Hamlet. He said, God has given you one face and you make yourselves another. What's he speaking to? Shakespeare is saying there is a temptation in each of us to manufacture a self that appears to be better than the real thing. Uh, Reality TV, plastic surgery, celebrity culture, social media, uh, all of these things are just testimonies that we are not satisfied with who God says we are. There has to be something better. We have to create ourselves into something better. Here's the trouble with this in the church. Manufacturing a false self in the church. Our life with God stands in complete opposition to this. Complete opposition to the false self. For many of us, the greatest obstacle that we have between us and God is this glaring contrast of who God says we are and who we really, really want to be. Those things are in opposition and they're hard for us to come to grips with. That true self, who God says we are. I want you to think of Jesus coming out of the water of his baptism and the skies opening and saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus had never done a minute of ministry. He had not done a miracle. No one had been healed. No one knew who he was. And God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is who you are, the true self. In opposition to that, the false self is this temptation to be something other than that. I want you to think of Jesus going into the desert and being tempted. And what did Satan do? He attacked that true self. If you're really the son of God. If you're really the son of God. Prove it. Go about this in a different way. It's a temptation to do things our own way. To build ourselves into something we weren't meant to be. We don't just think we're good enough in the way God sees us. With all of our baggage and all of our messy past. So we create a false self and we deny the things that are deep down inside of us. But these things are in opposition. This is like yin and yang. This is like Apple versus PC. This is like the Raiders and every other NFL franchise. This is like Bert and Ernie. Everyone wants to be like Ernie. Everybody loves Ernie. Ernie's fun and he's loving and he's playful. He sings a song to his rubber duck. I mean, how cute is that? Um, Everybody loves Ernie. But Bert, he's got this horrific unibrow. (laughs) He's grumpy and he's legalistic and he's no fun. And you see, like, there's actually one person... (laughs) Just divided all the good in Ernie and all the yuck in in Bert. And we all uh, just gravitate toward Ernie. I'm probably overextending this analogy, so I should stop. (laughs) But listen, if we live life pursuing this false self, um, we begin, uh, let me say that again. If we live a life pursuing the false self, we will struggle with the process 
the spiritual journey of excavating the true self from the false self. What do I mean by excavating? Peter Cesaro, who's the author that's kind of been leading us through this whole series, um, he calls the Holy Spirit the divine archaeologist. It's a really beautiful picture. Divine archaeologist. I want you to think of an ancient civilization buried deep in the ground under generation and generation of change, uh, 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 of one culture overthrowing another, one civilization over another. And the archaeologist goes and he begins to excavate, to dig and break ground and pull apart level by level, God bless you, culture by culture, down through history to get to the origin, the truest identity of that site, what it started out as. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing through the layers of our lives. Listen to this. This is the way Thomas Keating puts it. He says, the spirit intends to investigate the whole life, our whole life history, layer by layer, throwing out the junk, preserving the values that were appropriate to each stage of human development. Eventually, the spirit begins to dig into the bedrock, the very foundation, the truest identity of our earliest emotional life. Hence... As we progress toward the center, that bedrock, where God is actually waiting for us, we naturally are going to feel that we are getting worse. Now listen, this is so good. This is a warning that the spiritual journey is not a success story or a career move. It is rather a series of humiliations of the false self. Oh, so juicy. Listen, this is a warning. Our spiritual journey is not a success story. It's not a promotion. It's not a career move. It's rather a series of humiliations of that false self that we've created. If you've been going through this series and you're feeling worse and worse about yourself, about your past, about your life, maybe you are in the best place you've ever been with God. Maybe that's exactly where the Lord's been trying to take you for a really, really long time. Your spiritual journey involves pain. All of us, it does. Because there is deep pain in our history. It involves deconstruction, which is painful. Deconstruction so that that true self can be revealed out of the false self. Here's what Keating is saying. That as we look beneath the surface, that surface that we work so hard to maintain. All of the Instagram and the Twitter and the Facebook that we just, we work so hard to present ourselves in this certain light. As we face our past and break its power without sweeping it under the rug. As we embrace things like grieving and limits instead of running away from them. As we do all of these things, we begin to process this process of throwing away the junk. Moving closer to who God created us to be. Which naturally means that so much of our hurts and our pain... Our disorienting events in our life, our experiences, 
these begin to feel like humiliations, embarrassments of that false self. This is work. It is not easy. But let's remember what Paul said to Timothy. Be diligent. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. This was Paul's instruction. Pay attention to how you live and what you believe. The ESV says, practice these things. Put them into practice. Now, how do we normally watch our life? If I were to send you out here after today, go uh, this week, you guys, I want you to just watch your life. Watch your life. We would probably go and we would probably look for someone whose life we can emulate. We typically watch our life by watching someone else's life. This is like Jerry Seinfeld uh, when he talks about getting in shape. He says, we just go to the grocery store, find someone who looks like they're in shape. What are you eating? Oh, I'll eat that. We, we just want to identify what's a direction. Give me someone, an example, and I'll just do what they do. But that's not the way our spiritual life works. Paul told Timothy, you have to train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Now this is dangerous to a crowd like you. I know this. Uh, to say train yourself to be godly. Uh, we must beware here. This is not a license to create a moral checklist. I know you type A's are like, finally. I've been waiting six weeks for someone to tell me what to do. It's about time. This isn't a checklist. This doing, this training has a lot more to do with being than doing. It's not a to-do checklist. Less doing, more being. Being in the presence of God. Taking pleasure in the Lord. For generations in the American church, training in godliness required many of the following things. Maybe you identify with these. Study of scripture. Uh, participation, worship in community, prayer, obedience to certain biblical texts, witnessing and evangelism. Most of us who grew up in the church, we were trained in one or more of these uh, categories in some shape or form. But there's something missing from this training list. Something seriously missing. What are we missing? We are missing rest. We are missing intimacy. We are missing relationship with the Father. What I believe that this series is pointing us to is to slow down. Rest in the intimacy with God. Get lost in the holiness of who God is. Early on when, when I was doing ministry, I heard a sermon by a guy named Bill Hybels, super uh, famous pastor in the Chicago area. Uh, and this was uh, a sermon called Holy Discontent. And his charge at this conference uh, full of ministry leaders was um, to find that one thing, something that God had placed in your heart that you just can't stand to see go on. And then give your life to that endeavor. He gave the example of Popeye. Uh, Popeye's one thing was olive oil. 
And anytime olive oil came under attack or was threatened, he'd just grab the spinach and like down it. And they'd be like, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And then he'd like go crazy and go and save all. Like he just couldn't stand to see olive oil threatened in any way. That was his, his holy discontent. And so I took that teaching. Man, I was so inspired. And, and I gave the next 10, 12 years of my life to pouring myself into ministry. Just pouring myself into kids' lives. Man, and I tell you what, I was memorizing scripture and I was praying and we were attending and serving in this great church and uh, all of these things. And I was so burned out. I was so exhausted. Unfortunately, I think I missed the thing that God most desired. If we're to have a holy discontent for anything, you guys, as, as your pastor, what I would pray for you, what I do pray for you, is that you will have this burning desire for intimacy with the Lord. That, that yes, you will do great things. God, you guys are so talented. You guys are like the best at everything that you do. You're such amazing people. But if you aren't in love with Jesus more today than when you started coming to this church, then we are all missing the picture. We can't just keep doing stuff. We can't keep creating this false self that we just hang our hat on and our reputation and our hopes, all of those things. It's a waste. It is frivolous. It's fruitless. I believe God is just calling us into this deep intimacy to be near him, to know him and let him know those deep, dark, ugly places in us. I believe that's, that's what God desires for us. Throughout church history, men and women have given their lives, they've dedicated themselves to the pursuit of intimacy with God. Maybe pursuit's the wrong word. Maybe it's a surrender to the intimacy with God. And what happens, what they find as they go through this journey in intimacy with the Lord is that the true self, that self that, that God proclaims, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased, that person gets excavated from all the rubble, from all the junk, all that hard ground. That's it's buried under. This is so hard to do in our culture, and it is even harder to do in this city. From the time we wake up to the time we crash at night or the next morning, we are working diligently on so many things our jobs, our relationships, our future prospects, our education, that next great opportunity that's just around the corner. But we spend very, very little time forming the holy self, that person of holiness, training ourselves in godliness. How can we do this? First, we need to understand who our greatest example is of this. Christ was many, many things. He was active, he was productive, he was diligent, 
He accomplished more in a three-year window than all of us combined will accomplish the entirety of our life. Jesus was many things, but Jesus was never busy. He was never just about busyness. Jesus was not swayed from doing the things out of false self. He was very focused on his true self. He never wavered from that. And because of that, he had not just a to-do list, he had a must-do list. His whole life was a must-do. Listen to what he says. He says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I can do nothing of my own initiative. This is Jesus talking. <laughs> How much more for us? Jesus' life, his ministry, every endeavor, everything, uh, that everything he did was tied to the true self, my son in whom I'm well pleased. It never wavered from that. He was a beloved son who loved, who was loved and accepted fully by his glorious father. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of intimacy. Intimacy with God, the father. And our lives should be the same. So, a few practical ways we can do this, okay, and then I'll wrap up. Remember, these are practical ways of training in godliness, but these are different from doing for God. These are about being with God first. Uh, these are all formation of the holy self first. Create a rhythm of stopping and reflecting. If there's any major lesson that we have got through this entire series the last six weeks, it is the necessity to spend time with God in quiet reflection. Allowing him into those places every day that you walk. What do you think about this? In the book of Daniel, there was a plot to get Daniel executed. And these false prophets, they, they said, how are we going to get Daniel? Well... Well, first, we'll convince King Darius that no one should pray to any other God except him. Easy enough. But now we have to catch Daniel in the act. How do we do that? This was the easiest part of the plan. They knew where Daniel would be every single day. Every single day they knew right where he would be and what he would be doing. Because Daniel had created a culture of his life that he spent time with the Lord at least three times a day. To go to his house, close the door, pray. Why can't we do that? What is stopping us from doing that? There's something in our false self that says there are so many more important things than that. It's not good for us. It's not right. What if we were to do this? What if you could take your phone... And set three alarms through the day for, for 15 minutes, for 30 minutes. And take your Bose uh, noise-canceling headphones and put them on at your desk or wherever you are. And shut everything out. Ten minutes, you guys. Even that. And sit with the Lord. And open your heart to him. And hear what he has to say. I know he has things to say to you. I know that. 
if we're, if we're willing to do this, then there, um, this is where that true self gets dug up out of the ground, gets excavated. We have to slow down, stop, reflect with the Lord. Uh, second thing, resist slothfulness. This will probably be the first and last time I use slothfulness ever. Um, I know you hear sloth and you think Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, Seven Deadly Sins. Um, but slothfulness in the historic definition of the word is not just laziness, but actually also in addition to. It is being busy with the wrong things. Not just being lazy, but making ourselves busy with silly things. I do this, confession time, I do this thousands of times. A day probably. Maybe thousands is extreme. Instagram for me is a mental vacation. Pretty much everyone I follow has to do with surf culture. So in, in the course of one day I will begin in Bali and then I'll make myself make my way over to the Gold Coast of Australia. Uh, maybe be able to swing by the North Shore before I go home at the end of the day. Anytime I, I'm working and I'm just tired. Anytime I just don't understand what Tark's trying to say to me. Um, <laughs> Which is often, I just, I take, I go to Instagram and it takes me away. It takes me away. Um, this is not good. <laughs> and my wife calls me on this. All it's because I do it at home. When the kids are just like freaking out, I will take my phone and like. <laughs> it's my way of hiding. <clears throat> it's not good. Seems innocent enough, but. Um, we make ourselves, we do this in all sorts of ways. We make ourselves busy with needless, senseless things. Should have trimmed my beard before this teaching. Here's what uh, author Mark Buchanan says about busyness. This is so good. He says that busyness is mostly a self-contrived camouflage. A way we keep ourselves from seeing our own life's hollowness. Ouch. Man, busyness is a camouflage that keeps us from seeing our life's hollowness. Remember, Jesus was never busy. He did, had no need to camouflage his life. He knew who he was. He was safe in that true self. Maybe instead of vacations, we need to start taking holidays. What's the difference? Besides that British and Canadian people say holiday. They've got it right. One of the few things. <laughs> Just kidding. I know we've got Brits and Canadians. So we love you guys. Don't get on. Okay, listen. The word vacation. What does it mean? It means to vacate. It means to hit the ejector button and get out of your life. Completely separate from everything. To vacate. Holiday meant, in its original sense, holy day. Holy day, a day of rest, a season of rest with the Lord. And that leads us right into um, final principle, rediscovering Sabbath. Rediscovering Sabbath. And this is what it means, stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. That's what Sabbath was meant to be. We've talked a lot about Sabbath over the last year or so. There are some deep uh, studies into that that you can go back and listen to podcasts about. Um, but hold on to this. If your Sabbath, if your day of rest doesn't involve these four things, stopping, 
resting, delighting, and contemplating with the Lord. It's probably not what God had in mind for that day. You're probably doing something other than what he desires. Can we just remind ourselves, God gave us an entire day, 24 hours of every week, not as a luxury, but as a necessity for our emotional and spiritual health. Let's use that. Let's stop and rest, delight in God, contemplate our life with him. Such a gift. Okay, I want to close. Um, I'm hoping as we close today and this series, as we reflect on it, we see this as an invitation to know ourselves in light of God's love for us. To get to a better place of knowing the true self in light of how God loves us and pursues us. This is a journey that we're on. If we can commit to exercising these principles we've talked about in the Emo Church series for the rest of our life, always coming back to these places. If we can commit to slowing our life down with reflection, less busyness, right Sabbathing, the result will be that true self, my son, my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased, not for anything you do for me, but simply because I know you and you know me deeply. That true self will come alive. That true self, us made holy by just being in the presence of the Holy One. St. Bernard said it this way. Only in light of the love of God can we love ourselves rightly. Let's pray. God, you are the Holy One. Everything that is good, everything that is right is in you, Lord. Comes from you. You are the source of it. So, Lord, if we can expect any rightness in us, we must be with you. God, we desire... I desire for us as a church family, Lord, to fall in love with you more deeply, to get lost in your holiness, Lord. God, I pray that this would not be a conclusion of some interesting lessons, Lord God, but this would change our life, God, and move us into a place where we surrender more deeply to you than we ever have, God. We know our place of safety, place of comfort, of freedom, of healing. God, and yes, it is, it is painful. It's not fun. So many times, God, it's scary. But you tell us, Lord, that you are our refuge. That you are our strong tower, Lord, that you are our place of safety and of rest, Lord God. And even in our pain, Lord, in you, we will find freedom. You said, God, everyone who is weary, everyone who is 
heavy laden by the past, by their sin, Lord God, by broken relationships in every way, Lord, everyone that carries those things come to me. You promise, Lord, we'll find rest. That's what we desire. God, as we worship you, as we respond to you right now, Lord, would you be here and meet us. I pray for each heart in this place, Lord God, that we'll get a word from you, Lord God, that you would break into this place, this sanctuary, Lord God, and deeply move us to be near you. It's your heart for us. In Jesus' name, amen.